I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. by Five for Fighting, which features my guest today on the program, John Andrzejczyk. Let me tell you a little bit about John Andrzejczyk and Five for Fighting. Our story begins in Los Angeles in the 965th year of the second millennium, or as you earthlings would call it, 1965. It was the year Lyndon Johnson was sworn in for a full term as president of the United States, Julie Andrews won the Oscar for Best Actress, and the first skateboard championship was held. And it was the year John Andrzejczyk was born. Raised in the San Fernando Valley, Andrzejczyk's mom was a piano teacher. So it's no surprise that he started playing the instrument at a very young age. Like, a really young age. Like, age two. That was when he started playing. By 13, he taught himself how to play guitar, and he taught himself how to write songs, and at the same time, he was taking opera lessons. You know, teen stuff. Although Andrzejczyk had the cascading falsetto and vocal power to pursue opera, he wasn't really into it. So, what was he into? Well, he was into pop music. Pop music was lighting him up, and a love of everyone from Stevie Wonder to Elton John got him cooking up his own compositions in the songwriting lab. And he was good at it. But you'll find, as this story goes on, that Andrzejczyk is a man of many interests. So, in spite of the fact that he had a satchel full of great songs, he didn't get in the van with a band and take them on the road. Instead, he decided to go to college. By the way, don't worry about the van, the band, and the road. They'd be there after graduation. And this part of the story does indeed end with a graduation. In 1987, Andrzejczyk finished UCLA with a degree in applied science and mathematics, and from there he went to work for his family's company. It was a wire fabrication business called Precision Wire Products, a company his family started back in the 40s. A loyal lad for sure. But Andrzejczyk was also loyal to his craft. Armed with stacks of demos, he decided to operate under the moniker Five for Fighting. 
a massive hockey fan whose beloved LA Kings are his team, Andrasik's chosen band name is a reference to a hockey term that denotes the five-minute major penalty given for participating in a fight. Now, even though Andrasik was working full-time, he was still playing in a few bands around LA, and he was diligent about sending out his demos. In fact, a package he sent to EMI was passed on to the recruitment division, and that got him a deal with the label. Yeah, those things really happen. Five for Fighting's debut, Message for Albert, came out in 1996, when Andrasik was 31 years old. By life standards, that's pretty young. By music industry standards, that's pretty old. But who cares? When you're in, you're in. And a message for Albert was a promising start. But a year later, EMI closed shop, and Andrzejczyk found himself on the Island Records roster. Not too shabby. After all, Island had U2 and Bob Marley, so that was good. But Polygram, who was the parent company of Island, merged with Universal which was bad because bands like Five for Fighting got lost in the shuffle and suddenly Andrasik was on his own without a label. But in 1999, the Columbia indie affiliate Aware Records approached Andrasik with not much money, but an opportunity to get out more music. And that's exactly what he did. America Town came out in 2000, and although the first single Easy Tonight did okay... The second single, Superman, did a little bit better than OK, like worldwide smash hit OK. It went top 20 in the U.S., it hit number two in Australia and New Zealand, and it went top 20 in Italy, Iceland, and Norway. Pretty good run for that song, but it wasn't done yet. The song was nominated for a Grammy, the album sold a million copies, and Five for Fighting were on their way. Not bad for a guy who was now... 35 years old. Again, young for life, but old for music. However, Andresik could care less. He had a job to do, and he was doing it. Galvanized by the September 11th attacks, Superman became an enduring anthem for survival and endurance. And from there, Five for Fighting couldn't be stopped, putting out winning album after winning album. There's 2004's The Battle for Everything, 2006's Two Lights, 2009 saw Slice, Bookmarks hit in 2013, and 2017 saw the release of the live album Christmas Under the Lights. As for career highlights, Five for Fighting have plenty. Aside from platinum albums and hit singles, Andrasik has done halftime and pregame performances for NHL All-Star Games, Daytona 500, and Monday Night Football. He's co-written for Josh Groban and the Backstreet Boys, his songs have been featured on shows like JAG and Hawaii Five-0. He played the National Memorial Day concert on the steps of the Capitol, and he performed as part of the Lincoln Center series American Songbook. And speaking of America, Andrasik is a true patriot. He flew to Cuba, and he played a moving set for the USO Armed Forces at Guantanamo Bay. Now, remember when I told you Andrasik had many interests? Well, I wasn't joking. He's written hockey articles for Sports Illustrated, and he's a known public speaker, delivering keynote speeches for TEDx, the Salk Institute, and the American Cancer Society. Now, Andrasik's latest venture is an album called Five for Fighting with String Quartet. It's a collection of Five for Fighting songs reimagined with strings, and it's just beautiful. This creative direction showcases the rich textures and lyrical depth of Andrasik's back catalog, and it's really stirring work. 
Now, before I get to my chat with John, I want to tell you a story. When I was in grad school in the mid-90s, I loved music, but I had no money. So what my best friend and I would do is we'd go to the record store and we would scour the dollar bins looking for diamonds in the rough. And we always found stuff. But the game that we developed was find a band that had the weirdest name. Then we'd take it home and we'd play it. And the guy whose album was the better one was the winner. And I don't know what the winner got. Maybe it was a beer. Maybe it was meth. I'm not sure what we were doing at the time. But the point was, it was a competition, and we loved it. So one night, we went in to Amoeba Music, I think it was. Yeah, went to Amoeba. It was in Berkeley. It was late at night. They were about to close. We scoured the dollar bin, and I found Five for Fighting. It was a four-song EP. It was right before the album was coming out, and I thought, Five for Fighting? That's a really weird name. I'm grabbing this. And so I did. My friend Roland, he got a band called 30-Foot Whipper. (laughs) He did. So we went back to my house. It was going to be a good cage match. Who knew who was going to win this one? I won the coin toss. Yeah, there was the coin toss. This was serious business. This was like sport to us. Uh, Anyway, I won the coin toss. We put on five for fighting, and the two of us just sat there, utterly bewitched by Andresik's poetic precision and haunting finesse. It was a profound and powerful moment. And we didn't have to even put in 30-foot whipper because we knew that I'd already won. So there you go. There's my first experience with Five for Fighting. My only regret is I never heard what 30-foot whipper sounded like. Perhaps that's a subject for another podcast. But this podcast, it's about Five for Fighting. Here's my chat with John Andresik. Enjoy it right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. Somebody was talking about they were doing a performance of Brahms uh, years ago, and they were saying, I wanted to really recast the songs and let people hear, you know, Germany in the late 1800s. And I was thinking, like, when you when huh. you put these songs in this format, what do you think? I know it's not Germany in the late 1800s, but what do you think <laughs> is, is coming out? Like, what do you think is being not unearth, but maybe being exposed that wasn't exposed in the previous incarnation? Well, I think there's two things. I mean, certainly with the, the popular songs, the strings add a new dimension. But for me, what's cooler is it allows me to pull songs out of my catalog that I never played with the rock band um, because the or- orchestration was so crucial to the song. Songs like Devil and Wishing Well and Two Lights and Nobody and throughout my career, I've been able to work incredible world-class composers. So this allows me to share not just the songs, but the arrangements with audiences. And it, you know, it brings me back when I was making records, you know, and, and you spend a year and a half making a record, that kind of excitement comes right back. And I do think it is a, um, a, a rebirth of, of, the fighting experience for those who maybe seen us with the rock band. A lot of times when I interview bands or, or musicians, they always want to talk about the new stuff, right? <laughs> like I don't want to, I don't want to talk yeah. about the stuff they already did. And so it's actually kind of refreshing that you're revisiting songs that are, you know, from your back catalog. But I'm wondering for you, number one, I like that you're not sick of talking about these songs. I know you've been carrying around with them, you know, with you for a long time. Number one. And number two, I, I'm really interested to know what does it reveal to you uh, as a writer looking back at this work 
are you surprised at what you were accomplishing, you know, all those years ago? Of course, you know, uh, I'm kind of living the childhood dream and, and never imagined that I could be living, you know, touring the country and having people sing my songs back to me, much less 20 years later. And, um, and you're right. I do think, you know, it, it, it can be challenging to play the same song 20,000 times. Um, and uh, for me, you know, playing with quartet certainly adds a new dynamic. But I, I try to look at it practically um, in the fact that, you know, when folks come to see a band, uh, they may only see them one time in their lifetime. So there's always somebody in the audience who will only see me play 100 Years or Superman or The Riddle one time. And I owe it to them to give it everything I have and to not just um, go through the motions. And uh, just like when I see my favorite artists, I understand why Billy Joel didn't want to play Piano Man. Um, but if that was my only time seeing Billy Joel, I want him to play Piano Man. So certainly <laughs> those songs have allowed me to sustain my career. And uh, it allows me to do the new songs, too. You know, we certainly play new songs. And, and I know folks, you know, come out, you know, they want to hear the new stuff. But but um, as, as I said, this 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 permutation allows me to visit songs that we've never played live before. So for me, some of these songs, even though they're 10, 15, 20 years old or 10, 10 months old, you know, this is the first time we've ever played them. I played Augie Nieto with the string quartet um, this, this tour for the first time. So for me, they're kind of brand new songs, even though maybe they've existed on a record for a while. Yeah, and and it's funny, you know, you mentioned Billy Joel. I remember reading an article where Billy Joel said, you know, they asked him why he wasn't writing new songs. And he said, well, you know, I, I kind of feel like I, I gave you enough, w which I understand. <laughs> I mean, it, it's hard to yeah, argue with he did. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, that's a, fair, that's a fair point. But I also feel that there are artists who feel they can't give enough. They, they, they want to keep giving. I mean, do you kind of get what he's saying and where do you fall in that impulse? I think I understand that at a certain place in your career, whether you're Billy Joel or me or, or you know, someone um, maybe hasn't had, you know, the success of an Elton John or, or Billy Joel, you realize that it's much harder to have the commercial success. And Bruce Springsteen got very frustrated when Ray was playing him. So I understand the sentiment of, well, even if I write my best song, it's probably not going to go number one or it's not going to get on the radio because, frankly, we've had our time. And there's a new generation and, you know, you kind of phase out of radio. And it can be, I think, frustrating no matter who you are. So I, I understand that sentiment. On the other hand, you know, songwriters write songs. And it's not just perfect fortune. It's, it's a cathartic exercise. I just dropped my son off at college, okay? And that day was one of the most emotional days of your life. You're probably going to hear a song about it. And <laughs> am, am I writing that song so it can be a number one song? No, I'm writing that song because it was an emotional experience. And I found in my life that writing songs to share with an audience can, um, can be very special. And it doesn't have to be a Superman or 100 Years. For, for these concerts... There's, there's more of a reaction that I see to songs like I Just Love You and Two Lights than Superman in 100 Years. So 
yeah, I understand that it's frustrating. And, and for me, I'm certainly not going to go do a six month promotional tour to try to get a song up to number 10 on the hot AC charts anymore, because that is soul killing. But there's still nothing better than, than writing a song and playing it from beginning to end for the first time. And who knows if it'll be a hit or a miss, but for me, that's what keeps me coming back. Is there a kind of relief in knowing that you don't have to do that anymore? That sort of, you're not going to bother scrambling for a six month promotional term. Those can be draining. Is there a part of you that because that component is gone, is it kind of, is it kind of a easing the burden in some ways? That's a very insightful question. Um, probably one of the best questions I've ever heard. Um, because I think you're right. Um, and the, the dilemma of that as a songwriter, ecological aspect is, do you need that edge um, to write your best work? Um, for me, I asked myself, you know, as soon as I had 100 years and I had to, it wasn't just a song, I wasn't a one-hit wonder, you know, I don't have to write a hit song. I love writing for film and television because you don't have to write a hit song. You just have to write a good song. And frankly, good songs are better than hit songs. So there is a relief, but I don't care who you are or how old you are or how much success you have. Whenever you write a song that you think is one of your better songs, there's a part of you that wants the world to hear it. There's still that insecurity and that angst, and I still have some of that. So I guess kind of halfway in the middle of your question. <laughs> and that, that's organic. That's always there, right? That, that never goes away. I don't think so. I mean, you know... You know, the ego and the psychology of, of artists, and, you know, and the insecurities, I think they never totally go away. I, I do wonder, you know, we see so much in, in music that the great songwriters, the great bands tend to hit a plateau and go way off it. And I'm not going to mention any names, but it's very rare that you have, you know, an iconic songwriter who's writing songs at 60 and 70 that are as good as when he was 20 and 30. And is that because, because they don't have to write songs? Is that because there's not enough brain cells? You know, <laughs> I don't know the answer to that, but we certainly see that from kind of the, the history of music that, yeah, very, it's very hard to sustain good songs. You know, Leonard Cohen continued to write songs, you know, he passed away. And, you know, that just speaks to Leonard Cohen, but it's very rare that you see that. Yeah, I mean, I think there are. I'll, I'll name names who have done it well. I mean, I think Cohen. I think Tom Waits is somebody who continuously, yeah, right, still is really interesting. Um, and I have a theory about that. And my theory, it's funny you mentioned that. My theory is is that like when we're younger, because I'm 48, um, and you know we're roughly around the same age. And I think as when you're younger, I think that your productivity is somehow tied to your libido. Uh. Yeah, I think there's certainly there's certainly something to that. Just from pure energy, energy, right? I would write 20 hours a day. I'd be in the studio 300 days a year. I'd write hundreds of songs, and not only does that just like give you better odds, but that energy kind of just keep that momentum going, and you keep pushing yourself. And you've always struck me as a guy who's who's pushed himself uh, continuously. Um, when Superman hit, it hit big, and you know, a lot of people didn't realize you'd been at it for a while uh, when that song finally broke. Take me to that moment. What was going on in your career right before Superman became a huge hit? And do you ever think about how different 
your life would have been if Superman hadn't become a worldwide smash. You know, Easy Tonight was our first single. It sold just enough to get us to one more song. And Superman was, it took a long time. It, uh, it Radio didn't want to play it, and it took a long time to work. And there are a lot of nights that I was sitting there going, all right, what am I going to do? I got to go back, you know, and work in the family business. And, you know, I got married and I had kids. So I think a lot more of how my life would be different uh, if Superman didn't hit. But, you know what, it, it, it'd still be really good. Because, you know, I have a wonderful family, a wonderful wife, wonderful kids. And, and as much as I love doing music, it, you know, it's not what I'm all about. And, and maybe that's why I'm so grateful to be able to do it because it's, uh, it is a blessing. And, and, uh, I, I, to this day, you know, I still have to pinch myself when I, you know, walk into a supermarket and hear one of my songs. And the fact that people still hear them and play them is, uh, is really uh, rewarding and, and humbling. But artistically, you were very well aware, to quote Springsteen, that it was kind of your last chance power drive. For Superman, I did, because the label told me that. They're like, you know, you didn't sell enough records. If the song doesn't go, you know, we're going to drop you. It's just economics. And I was old. People don't realize. I, I was old. You know, I was in my early 30s, which for a new artist is basically ancient. And and nobody was going to take a shot at me as an artist after that. Now I probably could have sustained my career as a songwriter, which I probably would have done, um, and that would have been a different career. But um, but yeah, no, I I knew the writing was on the wall, and and uh, and luckily the stars aligned, and and uh, and that's why again I think that's one reason why I may have a different attitude about kind of my career than some artists because my success came very late, and I struggled fifteen years. And I realized, you know, how many people were important in, in helping me, you know, sec- secure a career. So I think that I'm sitting here in Kent, Ohio, right? I can tell you the names of all the radio stations and all the people here who were helpful to me early. And I come back here 20 years later and, and I'm still grateful to them because it was, it was a team effort, you know, getting people to learn about Fire for Fighting. And, and in, a, in a sense, it still is. And you don't forget kindness. No, you don't. And, you know, I think, you know, what I tell you as an artist is, you know, the same person when you have a number one song is when you're um, struggling and nobody knows who you are. It's kind of grounded in nature. Not only does it help your career, it just makes your life better. It makes you a happy, happier person. And, uh, and you can just, you know, you can go through life better. And it's, it's, it's I've always thought that, you know, it's uh, this world of kind of celebrity can be very fleeting. That's why you see so many people struggle with celebrity and, and fame and fortune. And, and, you know, there's very few superstars who are, you know, kind of have great personal life. And, and why is that? Because we're so kind of obsessed with our celebrity. And the, the flip side of that is you need a certain ego to do this job, to walk on stage. So it's, it's a hard kind of balance to have. And it's funny over the last couple of years, one of the main things I've been doing is I've been doing these keynotes and I keep doing more and more of these kind of keynote TED talks and they're kind of half concert, half talk. And, and so much of what I talk about is exactly that, about how to have that edge, how to have that ego, that innovation. But, you know, when you walk off stage, turn it off and, and still be able to have like a kind of normal, I wouldn't say the word happy, but, uh, you know, I don't know what happy is, but I like to say, you know, maybe a melancholy life with a lot of moments of joy. And uh, if, you can, if you can have that, then I think you're, you're doing okay. How much of those talks are improvised? 
You know, it depends. You know, certainly early on, a lot were, and and I try to tailor my keynote to the organization I'm speaking to, and because of my business background, a lot of the the, the folks are, are kind of businesses, and and I can bring in my uh, my my experience with our family business and the manufacturing business that can kind of correlate with my songwriting career. But um, I always uh, I always write, you know, the open and I write the close and. And the middle tends to be kind of the same, but these songs have always been post-it notes to myself. You know, 100 years, even though you know everyone can kind of relate to live in the moment, that was a post-it note to myself about you know you're not doing this very well. <laughs> so maybe maybe you should recognize what's sitting on your lap instead of obsessing on the past or or you know you know strategizing for the future. So. It's been interesting, even though I haven't been making records, it's been a new way to kind of express myself creatively is is to do these keynotes and talk to folks and, and share my experience. You know, when I when I think about being 20 and being 30, so when I was 20, I was still maybe a little bit of a jerk. And by the time I was 30, that was gone. So when if you had gotten famous at 20, would that have been kind of a blessing and a curse at the same time? I think so. When you're younger you're more selfish, you're more foolish, uh, you think it's more about you, and when you haven't struggled, it's not going to go away. And, and by the time I had success, I, I, you know, I had seen how important it was to have people around me to help me uh, with my career. There's five people uh, you know, on my, my hand, there's five fingers, and I could give you five people that can work not only was I grateful for my support staff, but when I started to have success, you know, I was grateful to every radio station who would have me in, who would have me play. I played every gig anywhere because I realized that it could go away at any moment. I was, you know, I was only making records till my next record. And if that record didn't succeed, I was done. Now I'm, I'm curious, dropping your kid off at college, did that make you philosophical in a, what did that do to you? <laughs> made me cry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, you know, it's, it's very interesting. I, I, I haven't, you know, really been writing a lot of songs, but that, that moment inspired a song and that I'm, I was actually working on today, like driving over here from, from Pennsylvania and, you know, emotional moments, you know, really just spur the soul. And, and that was such a unique one because usually Sad moments are sad, happy moments are happy, or joyous moments are joyful. But I've really never had a moment in my life that had both sentiments because we were so excited for him. It's the right time for him to go. It's a moment as a parent you think about since your child is born. And, and there's so many wonderful things to come from college and getting out on your own for the first time. And you think about when you went to college and that experience and, 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 how kind of wonderful that was. But as a parent, it's also one of the saddest days of your life because you're basically, your baby is leaving you. And it, that, that kind of dynamic in that, um, the, the competing sentiments were something like I've never experienced before. I mean, in a sense, in a sense, it felt like a death, even though it wasn't, it was also kind of a birth. And uh, so, yeah, I'm still kind of adjusting to it. Luckily for me and my wife, we have one more at home, so we're not completely en empty nesters. And I think next year is going to be really hard. But, uh, you know, the good news is he's flourishing and he's loving it. So that makes it easier. But it was certainly an emotional life moment that I never experienced before. And frankly, even though I kind of 
saw it coming. I, I didn't I, I didn't really expect the poignancy of it. Have you always been able to sort of memorialize important moments by using art as the sort of translation tool? No, um, because part of me too doesn't want to basically just like use my life as fodder for songs. Right. Um, <laughs> right. Good you, point. You know, so you, don't, you know, you just don't want to be like, oh God, that horrible thing happened. So, oh, it's going to make a great song, you know? Um, so I, I try not to, to, to write or live that way, but, but sometimes, um, events just spark emotion and especially when you're kind of sad, you know, the reason I got into music in the first place was, you know, you can hit a punching bag or you can write a song. And when you kind of write the song, it's cathartic and maybe you feel a little better. And, but, but I always am a little careful too about, you know, just writing your life. Does that kind of diminish the moments and you want to kind of live the moments, but but this one, again, I wasn't planning on writing a song. It wasn't like, okay, let's go write. But it, uh, it kind of came organically, and, and um, I'm actually kind of excited about it. I think it's, it's one of the songs I've written, and, and uh, you know, hopefully one day you'll hear it and you can give me your opinion. You got it. Did you, um, just out of curiosity, I, I teach college, and it's funny. I, you know, all my students are mm. back now. We're about three weeks in. And I always see them getting dropped off. And I always wonder, the parents look like they're not sure what to say. Like, have fun, but not too much fun. And study, but they, they seem like they're at an actual loss of what to say. Did you, did you feel that way? Of course. You know, you have your, your speech that you've written inside your mind. And, of course, we'd had kind of the talk before. You always kind of imagine, all right, you know, as we're about to drive away, this is what I'm going to say. And I kind of had my speech. And I choked up, couldn't say a thing. <laughs> and, and he was like, it's all good. I'll see you in three weeks. You know, so it's funny. Like he, he kind of became the, the dad for a minute because he couldn't talk. That's a really profound and beautiful moment, John. Isn't that what really makes life wonderful? And that, that just, that so, you know, kind of shows, you know, if, if, you, if, you, can't, if, you, if you can't say it and it's just too, too emotional, you know, it basically just shows how much you love somebody. And, uh, and so I think that was probably a perfect response for me. And, and, and I was, I was kind of both my wife, you know, were kind of set back and it took us a couple of weeks to kind of, you know, get over the sulking, but you know, that's life, right? You know, that's what makes life wonderful is those kind of moments. And, and, uh, I certainly will never forget it. And, and what he said was better than anything I could have said. You know, he basically just told me that it's okay. It's all good. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. I live here in the Bay Area. I live in Walnut Creek. And every every uh, few nights a week, I uh-huh. walk with my dad. And my dad's 83. And we walk downtown. And we and just it's a way mm. of getting exercise for him. And, and uh, we walk downtown at night. And then we sit on this bench. And they play the same 10 songs. I don't know why, but it's been this way for years and a hundred years is one of them. And so if we're sitting on the bench and I say, okay, let, let's keep walking. He always says, we got to wait for this song to finish. So, so it's his favorite one. Oh. So I wanted to pass that on to you. Well, the, the, today is the perfect day to tell me that little tidbit because my dad actually turns 80. And, and I chatted with him early today and, and uh, yeah, you know, 
the nice thing about hundred years is you can keep growing with it and it, it works anytime, any age. And I think that's wonderful that you have that time with your dad and, and I'm sure for him, he treasures those walks with you. Well, and, and I'm we both do. And I want to thank you for soundtracking it. I appreciate that. <laughs> My pleasure. <laughs> well, I'm really looking forward to seeing you play live. I've, uh, I've listened to you for about 25 years, never seen you play. So seeing you with the quartet uh, should be very cool, and uh, I'm looking forward to it, John. Well, I'm glad you're going to see the quartet because it's certainly, uh, I think, just very special and, and uh, kind of the right way to see, see this at, at this point in my career. And, and please, uh, please shoot us a note, and please you know, be my guest and come, come backstage and say hello. I'd love to meet you in person. Um, as I said, your, your questions are, are so kind of um, unique and forthright and refreshing. Uh, uh, you know, you, uh, whatever you do um, as a teacher, I, if you're as good a teacher as you are an interviewer, your kids are lucky. So thank you. <laughs> hey, they, I appreciate That means a lot to me. Thank you so much. And I will, I will drop a line. I'll bring my pop. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll come back and say hi. Yes. Bring your dad. I'll see you in a month. Hey, you got it, buddy. Enjoy the tour and, and we'll talk soon. Thank you very much. Thanks, John. Great guy, that John Andresek. Really nice guy. Uh, if you're interested in Five for Fighting news or you want to buy that string quartet record, go to fiveforfighting.com. Uh, best place for news about me and my string quartet record, uh, alexgreenonline.com will do the trick. Uh, stereo members of the podcast, we're on Spotify, we're on Google Play, we're on Stitcher, we're on iTunes, we're everywhere. Uh, if you go to iTunes, hey, subscribe to the podcast, leave us a nice uh, little note. Maybe throw us a couple of stars. You know, these things matter uh, in this Yelp nation that we live in. Uh, now, if you want to follow me on Twitter, do it at Ember's Editor. We're also on Instagram, Ember's Podcast. And if you're the old-fashioned type, you can email me at editor at stereoembersmagazine.com. Maybe there's a guest you'd like me to get on the show. Uh, well, throw me their name, and I will, uh, I will see if I can persuade them to sit down with me. Okay? All right. Let's close things off with a song from the String Quartet record by 30-Foot Whipper. <laughs> no, no, that doesn't exist. What happened to those guys? I'm going to find out. Uh, this is the riddle, uh, the String Quartet version of the song, and I'm very confident you're going to enjoy it. Uh, I enjoyed having you here. I always do. Thank you, as always, for listening to the program. I will be back next week. But until then, this is Alex Green, and this has been Stereo Embers, the podcast. There was a man back in 95 Whose heart ran out of summers But before he died I asked him, wait, what's the sense of life? Come over me, come over me He said, son, why you gotta sing that tune? Catch a Dylan song, some eclipse of the moon Let an angel swing and make you swoon Then you will see, you will see My kid from school today 
Good evening, how are we? 